That's what we're going to be talking about today. Good morning to all of you. We're talking today about the, the concept and the experience of spirituality. I want to say hello to those of you who are joining us by video in our sanctuary online. We're pressing pause today on a journey that we've all been part of together up to this point. If you've been here before today, we've been reading a biography of Jesus according to Luke, his life story and the gospel according to Luke. And today we're stopping to pause over a topic that's kind of been prompted by that reading, by that journey, and that is the topic of spirituality. And we come to this topic, I think those among us come to this topic with different questions. We come from different journeys, life experiences, with different interests, with different hope-for outcomes. For some of us who are here, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, we're readers of the Bible, and we see that Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is in his life, and that Luke, his biographer, describes Jesus in terms of the Spirit. So that honestly is enough for us. We're like, great, then I need to know more about that. I'm a follower of Jesus, and he's Lord, and if he's teaches about the Spirit, then I just want to know all I can about that. And so for some of us, that's enough. For others of us, others of us here today, we kind of have some other experiences too. We come with a hunger, a hope, an intuition, maybe just a vague sense that there is something more. There is something more to this universe, to this cosmos than meets the eye, than can be explained with simple answers. And we would like to know what that is, like to understand it better and connect with it somewhere. And maybe for you, you've had that experience in different ways. Maybe a lot like the guy in the video here, although without the horrible, horrible running part, maybe for you, <laughs> where you were out in nature when my knees and hamstrings were 10 years younger. I totally got that. Like for, sometimes you're out in nature in these beautiful places and just there's a sense of the divine, a sense of the infinite. And I mean, I sat with a friend years ago. I remember we were in California on a rock cliff over the Pacific Ocean. Have you ever stood at the, at the ocean and thought that water goes a long way, you know? And like, there are people way over there. And he said to me, I'm getting that small and insignificant feeling again, right? Sometimes it happens in nature. I've also seen it happen with some people in moments of real intense tragedy and loss or intense joy. In, in some of those situations of life where you come into contact with, oh, I think there's something more here. I think there's something more going on here. I, somebody once described those as the thin places in life, right? Where, where it's like the divide between you and whatever else there is that's usually thick enough to, to insulate you from it seems so much thinner, like the light's coming through a little bit, or you can hear through, or something like that. There are others of us who come to this question with a different kind of experience and not an entirely positive one. Some of the ways that we ourselves have experienced spirituality or people who talk about the Spirit have been a little frightening, maybe, or a little bit manipulative, or a little bit abusive. Maybe you have that in your background. Maybe, maybe you've had the same experience that I've had where, for, honestly, for a long time, way back in my story, I remember having friends, Christian friends, who would talk about how the Spirit was doing this or that in their lives, and I would wonder how they knew, and that the Spirit told them this. And, and I would think to myself sometimes, are you just saying it that way so that nobody can ask you any more questions? Like, is that just a rationalization for what you wanted to do anyway? Sometimes in overtly religious environments, language of spirit or spiritual experience can be used to frighten people or to manipulate them or to deceive them. And maybe you have that in your background, and so you've got questions or objections or reservations about this whole thing. 
I'm kind of a messed up person. I'm all three of those people. Like, I've got all that happening inside me. Like, part of me is like, yeah, Jesus talked about it. I want to know about it. And I've got also uh, interest and hunger and appetite and curiosity and also some stuff in my background that makes me a little bit, gives me some reservations about the whole topic too. Here's what we're going to do for the next four weeks, kind of engaging these questions and these experiences. For the next four weeks, we're going to reflect on the Christian teaching about spirituality. I have come to, I've found I've come to believe that the classic Christian teaching on spirituality, when properly understood, can be really, really helpful to a lot of us in our various places and our various journeys where we come from. I think it can really help us in our human experience and in the experience of understanding. But if we're going to talk about spirit, we can't just have a head game, right? So understanding this stuff, but also experiencing it. So I want to make an invitation to you here at the outset. And if you want to wait like 20 minutes or so and decide whether you really want to take me up on this, you can, you can do that too. But I, I want to invite you to make a commitment, like at least to yourself, to engage in this series for four weeks to make sure that at nine o'clock or 1030 in the morning that you're here engaging in this, because we're going to come at this from a few different angles and, and try yourself to see what God might have in store for you, how God might want to help you grow in your understanding and experience of the Holy Spirit for the next four weeks. And for my part, I promise you I'll do my best to be prepared, to come to you to try to connect the best of classic Christian teaching and biblical teaching on spirituality and Holy Spirit with the questions and experiences of life as we live it. So for the next four weeks, we're going to do that from four different angles here. Today, I want to start in, the, in what has to be regarded as the center, the center of the biblical teaching on spirituality, on spirit. So if you have a Bible with you, if you got one earlier in the service, you can open that up to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. It's on page 1594 of these Quest Bibles, if you're using that one. While you're finding your page, let me set the context for you a little bit. The scene that we're going to read about here happens about a month and a half after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's had an opportunity as a raised from the dead person to teach his disciples, to continue to build community. Here at this point, Jesus has been ascend, ascended into heaven. He's reigning over the world from heaven, but his followers are still meeting and they're praying. And they're praying, and here in this scene, they are gathered together for a holiday. It's an ancient Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And when they were together, there were other Jewish people from all over the Mediterranean world who would travel on this pilgrim holiday to the city of Jerusalem. And while they're together, this is what happens. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, the, these early followers of Jesus, were all together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. I don't know if you ever noticed this in the Bible before, but when people describe spiritual experiences, they often use language like, it sounded like, or it seemed to be, or it looked like, like language kind of fails them, right? There was a sound like wind, but I saw it seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit gave them the ability to speak other languages miraculously in this moment. What? All right. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, in the capital city of Israel, in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, all over the Mediterranean world. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Aren't they all from like the northern state within the state of Israel? How are they speaking all these languages? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. How many of you are glad you're not reading this out loud right now? And the, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So what they're having so far, you could just call in a general way, a spiritual experience. There is, there is the experience of some power that is beyond their normal range of experiences, and it's, it's causing something powerful to happen among them. And the next thing to happen is probably the next thing that would happen to any of us. They go, what's up with this? How, how do we understand this? How do we explain this? Verses 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. That's the explanation. They're drunk. Okay, I'm going to take a risk. How many of you have ever seen somebody have too much to drink and it empowered them with the miraculous ability to speak other foreign languages? <laughs> I've seen linguistic ability diminish in times like that. Okay, so that's not a good explanation. Peter, though, one of the leaders among the early Christians, offers an answer. He offers an explanation, understanding for this experience of the Spirit. Uh, verses 14 through 18. Peter actually kind of goes on for a long time about this. I'm going to read you just the beginning of his sermon so I have more time for my sermon. That's embarrassing. All right. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Thankfully that explained it to them. Now, no, he said, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes from the Old Testament for a prophet who lived hundreds and hundreds of years before this time. And this is what God had told Joel, the message the prophet Joel gave to the people hundreds of years ago. In the last days, when, the, when those days come, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's a word that means to speak words of God, to speak words for God. Your young men will seem visions. Your old men will dream dreams on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. That, Peter says, is what's happening here. That's how to explain this experience. All right, let me try to clarify this for a moment. Try to explain uh, a little bit about Peter's message. Peter and all of the other people of God in that period, nearly all of them, would have had an understanding that they were living in history with one another and with God. And they were, time was moving forward. Generations were born, generations died, there were joys, there were pains, there was sin, there was forgiveness, there was the normal course of human events. And someday in the future, there would be a different order of things, a different world. I have a kind of a timeline slot here I want to show you. The timeline slot with a blue arrow and red, okay? They were living in the blue arrow, time was progressing. And they looked forward to someday when God wouldn't be limited to a little spot in the temple, but everybody would live in the presence of God. God would be present to all people and people would no longer born and die. Death would be no more. Sin would be no more. Suffering would be no more. I mean, people look forward to times like these, right? They were looking forward to that time. But on the day of Pentecost, 2000 and well, about 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and Peter realized what happened. He said, wait a minute, we've seen the coming of God's Savior, Jesus, and we saw him die, because when people die, we know what happens, they stay dead, but he didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. We've been looking forward to the time of the resurrection. We thought that would happen to everybody at once, and it didn't, but it did happen to him. Death is being defeated, and now God's own spirit, the very presence of God is being poured out onto his people. Wait a minute, 
the last days have begun. This is what the prophet said. And so he realized that the red line moved on top of the blue line. This is what the early Christians figured out, is that the future had begun without the present ending. Everyone thought the present would end before the future began. But what we read here is their understanding that what the prophets foretold had begun, but the, but the present hadn't yet ended, okay? Now let me clarify a couple things about what this means for us. First of all, it means we don't live in the future. We don't live way out there on the end of the red line where the blue line has already stopped. We believe that one day Jesus will return and God's good creation will actually be consummated. And in that time, death will be no more. And in that time, sin will be no more. and Everything broken will be healed. It'll be the restoration of all things, God's new creation. We don't live there yet, right? Now, at some level, that's obvious. Read a newspaper, wake up in the morning, whatever. You're like... Who reads, you read newspapers, read news online, whatever. Like read the news, wake up in the morning, and you'll realize we're not there yet. Uh, but I think we don't take that very seriously because this explains a lot for us. This explains a lot for us. It explains to us why it is there's still suffering and death in the world. We're like, well, doesn't God not want that for us? Yeah, you're right, God doesn't want for that, that for us. And that's where he's taking this whole thing. And why is there still sin? And why is there still racism? And why is there still hatred and brokenness in relationship? Why? We're not there yet. We're not in God's future yet. However, and I think maybe even more importantly, I also want to clarify this. We're not in the past either, right? We're not at the spot on the red line where the blue line has stopped, but we're not on the back of the blue line where the red line hasn't started. And in my view, actually, in my experience, more Christians make this mistake than the first one. We don't think God's actually changed anything in our lives, right? Out of good intentions, we will say to ourselves, we are sinners saved by grace. And amen, that's true. But what that means is that I have a problem with anger and I still have the same problem with anger. And I mistreat people and I still mistreat people because nothing's really changed yet. Right? And I'm, I'm really greedy and I like to hoard as much as I can. I don't really share. That's just my temptation. But the future isn't here yet. So that's, I just keep on living. I'm, I'm not, God hasn't really changed anything yet. I still disrespect and mistreat and look in disrespectful ways at members of the opposite sex. I'm still afraid of and discriminate against people who come from different backgrounds than me. That's just how I was raised and nothing's really changing. We operate sometimes as if we live on the back of the blue line where the spirit of God has not yet come. But in fact, the spirit has come to begin something new in us to change us, to begin a new day. And to give you another sense of how the early Christians understood this, I want to take you back to one more prophet in the Old Testament. This is the prophet Ezekiel. Okay, so turn with me, if you can, to the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. It's on page 1260 of your Quest Bibles. Now, Ezekiel lived about 550 years before Jesus. He was a major prophet in the Old, in the Old Testament period. And if you're using the Quest Bibles, it's like way down there in the crack in between pages at the bottom of the page. And let me, let me read this verse to you. This is what God, the message God gave to his people through the prophet Ezekiel half a millennium before Jesus, prophesying the same reality. I will give you a new heart. I'm gonna give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. Do any of you ever feel a sense of hard-heartedness? Are you ever hard-hearted? Do you ever see it in anybody else? And God is saying one of the things that the way to understand what I'm gonna do is remove your hard-heartedness and give you a heart of flesh, or some translations will say a soft heart. And I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'm gonna create in you, I'm gonna do a work in you that's actually transformative, that will empower you to live and become more like the creature, more like the human being that I always meant for you to be. 
And that's a different vision than, hey, here's my bar, here's my code of laws, and if I say jump, you will jump that high, and you will figure out how to get your stuff together and start living right, right? Instead, God says, I'm making you a promise. I know, I know that no one's capable of that. I know from experience we're not getting that done. Instead, I'm going to rescue you, and I'm going to remove your heart of stone. I'm going to do a spiritual work in you and create a soft heart, put my spirit in you, and I will move you since you can't move yourself. Right? This is parallel to that prophecy from Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on everybody, young and old, men and women. We are not on that old part of the blue line anymore. God is moving us toward his future to be a new creature. Now, be realistic. We're, the, the blue line has not ended. We're still in this present world, right? It's still clinging to our ankles while the Holy Spirit is moving us in a new direction. There's a phrase I love. It comes from the New Testament book of Hebrews where it invites Christians to set aside the sin that so easily entangles, right? Like we're kind of walking through a mess of rope or wire or something on the ground. It clings to our ankles, but it's not our identity. Everything the Spirit is doing in us is to put one thing in our past and put a new thing in our present and in our future, right? It's a gradual work. We're not there yet. And one day God will complete this work that he has begun in us. But this is the direction that we're being moved. I think this classic biblical teaching on the reality of spirituality is really helpful. I think on the one hand, it's very realistic. On another hand, it's very practical. It offers a practical challenge. It's very realistic. It explains the experience that we have, the hunger, the hope, the, the beginning, the foretaste, something big is happening. There is something out there. It's, God is reaching us. On the other hand, it also explains the frustrations that we have and that we're not there yet and we still live while there is this world clinging to our ankles. I think this is much more helpful and realistic than all the kind of positive thinking spirituality that you can find on bookstore shelves or Amazon's top 10 list or whatever it is that just says if, if you can imagine it, if you can think it, if you can convince yourself, you can change what's inside of you. The reason those books keep selling is because none of the first ones worked, right? And we're very attracted to that and we'd like to do it, but it doesn't work, right? This view explains why we are where we are. It's very realistic in that way. And it offers us a practical challenge to cooperate with the power of God that actually does work in our lives. And the, the last thing I want to do today is I want to share with you one final passage that speaks directly to this practical challenge of the old you and the new you that God is creating as part of his new world. So let me read one more passage with you. If you still have your Bibles out, we're going to go back to the New Testament. This is Romans chapter 6. Uh, in your Quest Bibles, this is page 1651. Romans chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 3. This passage is part of a letter that Paul of Tarsus, one of, the, one of the most influential teachers among the first generations of Christians, he wrote this letter that we now call Romans. It was a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians who were gathering in the ancient city of Rome, and he was explaining to them in this passage about the old them and the new them and what God was doing in them and how they could cooperate with that. Okay, let me read this to you starting in verse 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, just hold on for a second. He's writing to Christian people, followers of Jesus, who've been baptized in him. He's like, these things are going to be true of you, okay? Those of you who have been, been baptized, you've experienced that wash of God's water, that promise of his forgiveness for the old stuff in your life, and the, the imagery of baptism that involves going down in the water and coming back up again, that there's an old you that's buried and a new you that's raised up. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, what I'm about to read, a 
applies to you, whether it feels like it or not. It's going to be an invitation to us. If you're someone who's kind of a part of this community and checking things out and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but you believe this, you're, you realize you believe that he's Lord and you'd like to live that life, come on in. You can follow him too. And if you'd like to be baptized, just let me know. I'd be happy to help. All right. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, therefore, he spells out, buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, putting one thing to death, an old thing, and raising up a new thing. Paul continues in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. It begins now and it goes on forever. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. All right, these verses describe what God is doing in us, how God is taking an old us bound to sin, ruled by sin, joining us by his Holy Spirit. It's the miraculous work of God's Spirit to create a spiritual union with Jesus so that we are on his road, right? We, we share with him this old thing has been put in the grave and a new thing is being raised up again. And what's our response to that? What's the practical challenge? Here's how I'd put it in one phrase. Agree with God about this, all right? This is what God is doing, so agree with what God says is true about you. Surrender. Lay down your arms of opposition and surrender to what God is doing in you. The way that Paul is going to say it is, since, since you have been put to death with Christ and raised up to new life with Christ, then count yourself put to death with Christ and raised up with Christ, or reckon yourself that way. Here, listen to this in verse 11. In the same way, then, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You don't have to do that anymore, right? Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Agree with God that he has put this old thing to death and raised you up to be formed in the image of Christ instead. Okay. This is very practical. Let me be very practical with you. This is so practical that I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Yay! Right? That's what my kids do with homework. They're like, yay! Okay, that's not true. But I, am, I have learned from them that you'll like it better if I let you start on it while we're here. So you have less to do when you go home, right? So in just a minute, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to start this, all right? I have one two-part question for you, okay? Here, here's the question. If indeed it's true that God is joining us to Jesus and putting an old, old self, an old us to death, and raising up a new us, then what is it from your life that needs to stay in the grave? What is it that you are clinging to that is an old you reality that the Spirit wants to set you free from? So that, that's part of your past, and you don't have to deny it, and it's part of your journey, but it's not part of your present anymore. It's not part of your future anymore. What's that old thing? And what's the new thing? What is the new thing? As God raises you up in Christ and forms you in the image of Jesus, what's the new thing that the Spirit of God is creating in you and is calling you to embrace? What needs to stay in the tomb and what's getting raised up in you? All right, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. And during that time, you can sit quietly and you can reflect on this question and you can listen for the Holy Spirit to speak in your heart. If you came here with somebody, a friend or a spouse, they may be happy to tell you what needs to stop in your life, what should be old, maybe not. Uh, 
Or if you came alone and you're sitting by a stranger but you feel especially extroverted right now, you can talk to them too if you want, okay? Um, so you got 30 seconds and I'll be right back. All right, you get to keep thinking about that. You can take this home, you can work on this. But let me finish by asking you to do this, to, to think ahead a little bit. Think, I don't know, think a week out in your life. Think six months out in your life. Think a little bit into the future. And imagine what would be different in your life if the thing that you're reflecting on, the thing that maybe the Spirit is saying to your heart, came true. You know? What would be different in your attitudes? What would be different in your emotions? What would be different in your relationships if that thing got left in the grave? And if that new thing became real for you? What would it be like to be a person who's enlivened and empowered by that spirit of God? And then let me ask you to imagine, what kind of community would we be? Multiply that effect. That effect. What, what kind of people would we be? What impact would it have in our neighborhood? What impact would it have in the character of this church family? What kind of impact would it have in your family if you live as part of a family? What impact would it have to the people that you go to work with? If, if that old thing, if there, is, if there is resentment, if there is bitterness, if there is selfishness, if there is fear that you live out of, if that gets left behind, and a new you that is filled with the grace and the hope and the patience and the love of Jesus is raised up from that tomb. And God does that work in you and in us together. I want that. I want that life for me and my family. I want it for our church family. I want it for all of us. And I want it for the world that needs to know and experience that kind of hope and that kind of grace and that kind of love from among the followers of Jesus. So between now and next week, you got homework, you got something to think about, I want to invite you to keep listening to the Holy Spirit about that and agree with God about that. And if there are some next steps that you can take this week, I invite you to take them, to leave the old thing behind and embrace the new. Let me close this time of reflection on God's word with prayer. Good and gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're good. And we are grateful for your presence and grateful for your work in our lives. God, I pray that you would open our eyes, you would make us aware of your presence around us, among us, and in us, that you would open our hearts, the eyes and the ears of our hearts, the wills inside of us, that you would break us open where we are closed to you so that you can do your good work in us. God, I pray that you would teach us to listen. What's, what is it that you're saying to each of us? God, if, if you want to work in in our conversations, in our growth groups, as we work to discern these things, speak to us, God. Speak through us, through one another. Open our ears to hear what we can leave behind and what you're raising up new. God, do whatever you want to do in us so you can do what you want to do through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.